Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here once again for the last week in Mortgage Today, our weekly whirlwind through all things mortgage industry each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And uh, once again, very excited to, I didn't think anybody would even log on to listen to this. So the fact we have a sponsor um, to me is a little mind blowing. And uh, I want to thank our great partners and friends at MGIC for sponsoring today's episode. And uh, before I introduce my co-host, I'm going to pass the baton to Carolyn Riviello from uh, Regional Sales Manager from MGIC, who's uh going to actually welcome our co-host and is going to say just a few words to get us started here. So, Carolyn, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Rich, and uh, good afternoon to all the TMC members. Um, we really appreciate the opportunity to sponsor today. Um, I'm hoping most of you know MGIC. I'm thinking that you do, but we're a mortgage insurance provider uh, that uh, joined TMC about a year ago. Um, and we're hoping, you know, you find that T- as a TMC member, we have competitive rates backed by amazing service. Um, but wanted to talk a little bit today about just real quick two initiatives. Um, training has been always a key uh, to our value added proposition. And there's been two very popular training programs that I want to draw your attention to. Um, one of them, um, we sell out its capacity every time and it's evaluating self-employed, unfortunately, during these COVID times. So just wanted to draw your attention to that. Um, and second to that has been something we've had called harnessing the power of social media. Um, social media today, as we all know, helps us stay connected to our customers. Um, it helps us target audiences. It helps us build our brand. And uh, along with our social media training, we have a whole cafe that has tools and content to help you stay front of mind. So wanted to just mention those two in particular because they're very new and very popular within the company today. Um, Our training calendar is available on our website and can it also be delivered via email uh, at the beginning of each month. Secondly, I'd like to bring you, make you aware of an initiative that was just announced last week, um, and this is along with a TMC preferred uh, vendor to the Mortgage Coach. And many of you are probably familiar with the Mortgage Coach. Uh, it helps loan officers be more than just someone that delivers an interest rate, but a trusted advisor, whereby they can log onto a platform and provide a variety of different loan programs for their clients. Um, Great news, uh, MGIC last week became embedded in their platform. So we're really excited about that, and um, it's available today. So uh, if you want any more information on either our training programs or the Mortgage Coach, you can go to our website, MGIC.com, or you can connect with your account manager. Um, If you don't know who that is uh, or you're unsure, there is a link on the TMC Preferred Partner website that has all the MGIC contact information. So um, again, thank you for your partnership. 2020 was a great record-breaking year for many of us, and we value our TMC MI partners that we work with today. We look forward to working with many more of you in the future. So I wish you a safe and happy Thanksgiving from MGIC. And uh, I believe Richie would like me to turn it over to Marie from Trident Mortgage. That works. Okay. Thank you very much, though. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, and thanks for the partnership, Carolyn, and to you, Rich, as well. So it's been a, you guys have been a great support all year round. Thank you, Marie. Perfect. And uh, yeah, so my co-host again today, getting the repeat invite, uh, is the president of Trident Mortgage, Philadelphia native, and not a Carson Wentz fan, Marie Gaia. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm not going to weigh in here because my kids might be listening. So, <laughs> so. and they're still standing by Carson. So, and Carolyn, one other thing, real quick, um, we're going to sure. start doing more of these. Um, you know, we do these Zoom videos, and then we record them as podcasts and load them to our YouTube channel, where they get a lot of you know views and engagement and been very positively received by the network. So we're going to start doing more of it in the first quarter. So one of the shows I've been tasked with doing monthly is like a uh, housing related stocks show, which is cool. I love stocks and the stock market. It's a hobby of mine. And But somehow I did not know MGIC's stock ticker is MTG. That's pretty cool. I know. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I don't know how I 100%. never knew that. But uh, yeah, and their stock is doing great this year. It was, uh, you know, like uh, right after the Corona madness in the spring, it went, it went drop below five bucks, but now it's all the way up over $12. So it's been a great year for, for the MGIC stock since everything kind of artificially bottomed out. Yes. Yes. Well, thanks for following us. And uh, it's because of the support of everyone. And, you know, we're having a year beyond our imagination. So it's been great. It's been really great. Cool. So, um, excellent. Thank you, Carolyn. And uh, so moving on to today's show, we always start with the kind of look at the headlines of the week and um, the majority of the headlines this past week in the mortgage industry really related to the incoming presidential administration, uh, incoming President Biden. Um, The first domino fell, Marie, um, when he announced the appointment of Janet Yellen to, as Treasury Secretary, kind of the CFO of the United States, um, was widely hey, it was it was it was a popular move with the markets for sure. I think with our industry, with me at least, um, you know, she's got about as thorough a history and a background. Um, she served as the Federal Reserve Chair during some very tumultuous times. So uh, any thoughts, comments, reactions on the the first Biden housing appointee? Yeah, I love what it did to the stock market, I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of stocks. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that they're, um, you know, the Biden administration is leaning to towards, um, you know, individuals that served under Obama. Um, you know, um, through that administration, um, took us through the, uh, you know, 2008 meltdown. And I think that people are really looking for some kind of comfort level. Um, you know, some, a, there's, there's a name and a brand association with Janet Yellen. And I think that, you know, again, people are looking for more confidence in our administration and he's going to select individuals that can kind of carry us there. Absolutely. Yeah. Stock market investors, those of us, uh, you know, with the stake in the housing market by being involved with it, like safe picks, people with track records. Uh, President Trump, you know, went in some different directions. He went with some veterans, um, went with some non-conventional appointees. Um, But it seems like what we're going to get from Biden, you kind of hinted at it, um, some people that served under Obama, 
Uh, just if you look at some of the other rumored candidates for some of the other positions that still yet to be filled, CFBP, HUD, FHA, Ginny May, the names that you're hearing are established, kind of safe industry veterans. And it seems like that's what we're going to get with the Biden appointees. Yeah, I, I I believe potentially it may be the um, you know the former players that were in that in, in those roles. I mean, um, you know, Richard Cordray is a is a name that's being tossed around a lot for, from the CFPB perspective. Cordray, of course, the former director of the CFPB, uh, yeah. an Ohio guy. Uh, he lives in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, made a run at governor uh, in the state of Ohio and lost pretty narrowly uh, here to Mike DeWine, now serving as the governor. Um, but yeah, Cordray's name has been bandied about that, certainly causing some anxiety to those in the mortgage industry, uh, just because of all the changes that happened at CFPB under his watch. Uh, I've talked about it on this show before. Uh, my last role before TMC was with a uh, you know, fairly large lender here in the Cleveland, Ohio market. We had a lot of marketing services agreements um, and spent, you know, the better part of my last year in that role, unwinding a lot of those because of just fears of the bank, uh, you know, some of the, you know, RESPA related tentacles and, um, you know, ruling by enforcement actions, things like that. So, um, that certainly is the one appointee that the mortgage industry waiting with bated breath on is the new director of the CFPB. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, we can certainly expect a new agency head under Biden and, you know, his approach is going to be a lot more aggressive around enforcement. Um, you know, many critics argue that while enforcement actions were up during Kraninger's tenure, um, it didn't translate necessarily into dollars. Um, so in other words, the current administration was more you know, business friendly and ultimately forgave or at least suspended penalties. And um, in, in addition to Richard Cordray, you have Rohit Chopra um, and then you know, Representative Katie Porter as well from California. So um, they're pretty big hitters when it comes to enforcement actions. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that coming up in 2021. Thanks, Marie. Uh, HUD secretary, of course, talking about unconventional appointees, uh, President Trump going the route of Ben Carson, uh, mixed opinions on the job that Carson did in that role. Um, me personally, I think TMC CEO Jim Park would be the ultimate uh, HUD secretary. I don't think he wants all that noise at this point in his career. But uh, any uh, any thoughts on, you know, the, maybe even the general direction, any potential individuals um, that could be lobbied about for HUD? You mentioned it before. One of the things I've read a few different times is that you could be one of the former Democratic candidates that oppose Biden in the primaries. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I, I think Elizabeth Warren is definitely uh, I think the, the thought process there is that she's going to stay in the Senate. Um, she's got a you know pretty, you know, pretty strong grip in the Senate. Um, I can't see I can't see. Elizabeth, you know, taking a position within um, within the Treasury or within, you know, within HUD, um, you know, I think that it, it's a it's a it's a toss up. I think that there's a lot of uh, deep, um, you know, deep experience within HUD itself that they may uh, try to bring about as a as a person to kind of lead that 
that that uh, you know agency. So um, yeah, I'm not. I I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on HUD at this point. I'm still trying to get my arms wrapped around all the appointees that are kind of like you know the, the bigger positions that are um, obviously um, identified at this point. So it's uh, but it, it it's pretty interesting. I, I do believe that they are going to go to somebody um, you know from a well of experience and somebody who's probably served in the Obama administration. Treasury Secretary, a big one, as you kind of noted there. I mean, much more direct impact on monetary financial policy, ultimately a lot of the things that impact housing with the Treasury Secretary role. Senator Warren was one of the people that was rumored to be a candidate for that. I think that's that would have freaked out the stock market. I think that's one of the reasons the markets reacted so positively to the Yellen news. Um, is that Warren was, I think, one of the one of the people that uh, you know people were expecting could 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 possibly get the nod there, um, and but as you kind of noted, um, you know, the HUD secretary. I, I, it's not. There are certainly roles with more with more impact, um, including FHA commissioner. I, I, in my opinion, that's one you could see maybe unchanged. Brian Montgomery, good friend of TMC, um, has been, in my opinion, incredible in that role. Um, you know, and, and he has served under Republicans. He has served under Democrats. He has served in different roles under both. So uh, maybe one of the one of the positions that you could see that would go unchanged to the extent that uh, Brian is interested in con- in continuing on. Yeah, absolutely. And he has done a great job. So, um, you know, I, I, I do think that there's going to, you know, th- those individuals that serve across party lines, I do believe, have have a, a chance of staying in, in their current roles or, you know, you know, possibly moving into a bigger role. Absolutely. Uh, moving on, um, other potential changes, obviously, the future of Fannie and Freddie, uh, a lot of us in the industry. Uh, you know, waiting in the balance to see what happens there was clearly heading down the path of exiting conservatorship under the current FHFA director, Mark Calabria. Um, Biden has not mentioned anything yet as to whether or not, you know, he is likely to stay with Calabria and down the path of exiting conservatorship or kind of putting the brakes on that. If we remember uh, going back to the beginning of the Obama administration, um, you know, uh, President Obama was was very much publicly out there saying that he wanted to have the agencies, the GSEs leave conservatorship. It just never quite made it to the top of the to-do list um, because the system was kind of working um, right. right now. I could see the same thing happening. Um, there are some that have speculated that Calabria could stay in the role. I don't see any chance of that. Uh, any thoughts on what could happen with FHFA director and the future of Fannie and Freddie? Yeah. Um, well, I, I believe right now, um, actually like in the next couple of weeks, the Supreme court's opening up arguments in early December right? Uh, challenging the constitutionality of the structure of the FHFA, which is much like what happened with the CFPB challenges a few years ago. So, um, and, and essentially, you know, um, Biden's administration and a new incoming president has the, you know, they reserve the right to, you know, fire the director at will. So, um, you know, my bet is that he will probably, uh, you know, uh, take that position, um, probably offer it to somebody else. 
um, you know, in terms of the future of Fannie and Freddie, um, I think that his approach is going to be different um, as far far as housing reform. And, you know, given that Biden himself is part of the conservatorship conservatorship and uh, deprivatization of the agencies in response to the past housing crisis, um, you know, I, I believe that his administration is going to remain a little skittish, so to speak, um, given the state of the economy. So, you know, um, yeah, you know, when I look at Calabria, he, since assuming the post at FHFA, um, he's been focused in on recapitalization efforts of those two agencies and, you know, bringing shareholder value um, after investors haven't been, you know, receiving any dividends. You know, the profit sweeps have been used to pay back the U.S. Treasury's bailout. Um, you know, with Biden, however, under the conservatorship, I think that he would seek longer term to, you know, continue to reduce the uh, risk to taxpayers um, while increasing affordable housing and lowering borrowing costs. Um, so I, I kind of see that Biden will use the conservatorship as a le- lever to spur items that are on his agenda. Thank you, Marie. And I am with Marie Guile, the president of Trident Mortgage. Uh, in addition to serving in that uh, important role, Marie, also the chief diversity officer for the Fox and Roach, Berkshire Hathaway family of uh, mortgage companies. Uh, and Marie, good segue. You talked about um, some other initiatives that we could see uh, under a Biden presidency, uh, affordable housing, access to credit. Um, you know, certainly one part of our industry that, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, so, you know, some have been very vocal as calling it an affordable housing crisis, really a lack of uh, inventory in general in the industry, but particularly, you know, for first time home buyers, uh, affordable housing stock, uh, you know, there's been, uh, I believe, Biden's public campaign stance uh, as it relates to housing, like on his website, didn't get talked about much in the debates, but um, called for um, dollars and initiatives focused on the creation of affordable housing units. Uh, just from my seat, I feel like that is something that this country needs, that uh, you know, we have an inventory problem obviously right now uh, in America as it relates to housing, but especially at the lower end. I think if we keep ignoring this issue, that it could have some really bad long-term consequences. Uh, what say you on all of that? Yeah, you know, I, I, when we talk about affordable housing, too, I mean, we, we also ought to take a step back and kind of look at multifamily, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of barriers to overcome. You know, there's the increased cost of construction, um, i.e. labor and materials, there's land use regulations that, that presents itself as a bar- barrier, like the lengthy permit processes, um, restrictive zoning laws, and there's there's far more concentration on residential home building. But um, you know this is limited rental housing, and, and when you look at it, rental um, rent increases are outstripping gains in household income. So if if you take a look at the last ten years, the amount of U.S. households that rent actually grew by 4%, which translates to 4 million new renter households formed. So, you know, you couple all this with the economic uncertainty with COVID, what's happening in the major metropolitan cities where um, you know, the wor- workforce has shifted to remote work. So people are fleeing the cities in favor of the suburbs. And then that's obviously putting a strain on residential and commercial property owners in the cities as well. 
So I, I, I think that we're, you know, the groups that obviously get hit the hardest are, is the low to moderate income, you know, sector of, um, you know, of, of, of possible home buyers. So um, I, you know, I, I think that we're kind of in a bit of a conundrum. There's just not, not enough housing to go around. Um, and I do think that that is going to be a very, very big part of the Biden administration. And, you know, and certainly who he chooses for FHFA, um, for the CFPB, um, I think that that's going to be a big part of their, you know, of their agenda going into 2021 and beyond. Thanks, Marie. I'm with Marie Gaia, the president of Trident Mortgage. We have about eight minutes left in today's program. And uh, certainly any comments, questions, thoughts anybody has, please feel free to drop them in the chat or the Q&A. We'll be happy to voice them aloud. Um, Moving on, Marie, uh, other big news this week, the Department of Justice filing a lawsuit against the National Association of Realtors last week, alleging a series of different violations of antitrust law, um, a lot of them uh, in and around commission arrangements and consumer disclosure requirements. You're uh, the president of a uh, real estate-owned mortgage company. Uh, what were your, I guess, initial thoughts when you saw that news break? Was it something you knew was coming in advance, or? Uh, yeah, you know what? Um, I don't think uh, you know. Nars experienced, um, you know, suits in the past. Um, you know, there was a couple of class action suits that came about. Um, you know, and obviously it's around consumer disclosure. So. You know, I, I believe NAR and the DOJ, DOJ reached an agreement last week on the suit. Um, and while there wasn't any admission of wrongdoing on NAR's part, uh, the, the agreement would offer more transparency to home buyers. So they haven't um, really finalized the language around that, but they expect to probably finalize that within the next 90 days or so. Um, you know, and rather than leaving the topic of commissions in the hands of you know, buyers and their agents, the agreement is really assuring that the publicly available data through the MLS will now include offers of compensation and um, buyers agents will have to be more affirmative in terms of their obligation to disclose this information up front. So, you know, usually, you know, typically it could be a very, very uh, kind of pathway conversation when it comes to uh, how much exactly are you getting paid. Um, the, I, I believe that they're going to there will probably be a lot more disclosure, formalized disclosure around that in terms of what the, you know, what that compensation looks like to the agent. Um, and, you know, the agreement's also reaffirming that as a matter of practice, buyer, buyer's agents are going to provide their clients all available listings that match their criteria, regardless of the compensation that they're getting um, and who the listing broker is. So there's, you know, there's a couple of like angles to this, but, you know, again, um, I, you know, from, from NAR's perspective, this is really kind of more formalizing um, practices that ought to be, you know, that really should have been observed all this time. As you've noted, yeah, certainly not the first, you know, lawsuit filing of this type um, uh, to NAR and almost all of which have been kind of settled out of court and figured out. And so a lot of the commentary in and around that news was, was kind of based around that. But uh, it's interesting because the whole, you know, especially now, I mean, these last eight or nine months, I think, you know, the, the process of shopping for homes was becoming a much more virtual experience already before March of this year. Uh, certainly, um, 
these last eight or nine months, it's been much more that way. Do you feel like, uh, you know, what has happened this year will have dramatic, like, will, will it uh, accelerate changes to like the real estate broker model? I mean, obviously, all the big brokers, Berkshire Hathaway included, have very robust, very strong online platforms. But uh, just curious if, you know, any trends that you think will be accelerated or disseminate from these odd last eight months here? Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think one of one of the one of the trends that's definitely accelerating is the the sight unseen. <laughs> so, so essentially, I mean, there, there's a plethora of buyers out there, and, and to the point where the pipeline of available buyers and the lack of inventory um, is kind of creating a little bit of chaos. So, it, it's like when you're getting when you're in multiple bid situation, you have a lot of buyers coming in that are not that haven't even seen the property. Um, you know, they're depending on somebody walking through with a camera, they're, you know, they're um, doing, you know, virtual tours and so forth. Um, so I think that that will continue, obviously. Um, I, I would I would say that, you know, one of the, one of the things that may be kind of impacting, you know, having this kind of draw on, um, you know, this, this hyper focus on commissions and the disclosure of that is more, I, yeah, I think that the home buyers out there are now going to start kind of questioning, what is it exactly that you're doing for me? You know, the, the traditional getting in, in the car with your agent, having them, um, you know, take you from property to property, walking through, um, you know, and obviously, you know, that translates into time that translates into dollars. So I, I, I see that, you know, there's probably a little bit more scrutiny out there, especially with the, a lot of the internet um, based uh, real estate companies that are out there, um, there's going to be a lot more focus in on, you know, what is it that you're doing, um, you know, to earn the, this commission for me. So that's that, that's one of the things, and that's one of the phenomenons of what's happening, um, you know, today. But I do believe that this um, it's going to continue. Now, I don't believe that the role of the agent or the value that the agent provides as an advisor. Um, will change because they still serve a very important part of the, you know, of the home buying process. Very similar to the mortgage loan originator. You know, I think people have been pre- predicting the end of the human realtor and mortgage loan originator for a long time. At the end of the day, uh, the largest yep. purchase of most people's lives, uh, you know, no matter, uh, you know, how much we think the trends are changing with younger home buyers, uh, at the end of the day, you know, a, a even if it's a slightly decreasing percentage of people over time that will, you know, desire to interact with a human being uh, throughout that purchase process. I, you know, I, I think that uh, the role of the human realtor home, human mortgage loan originator, um, not in peril, even, even with what we've seen this year. So. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things you have to, you have to remember, and it's something that, you know, we talk to you know our people about, but, you know, technology tends to commoditize things, you know, so, um, you know, one of the things that you have to, you have to do, you know, how do you, you know, beyond, you know, that commoditization of, of, a, of a process or, you know, originations or even home buying, you know, like how, how do you step above as, as that, as that advisor? And I, and I think that people still seek advice day in and day out when it comes to a very, you know, awfully complicated process. 
Uh, just a couple minutes left. Uh, Marie, I want to get your thoughts, though, on uh, we're now into the latter part of November. I think for the first time, really, you know, since April 1, um, lenders are saying it's, it's believe me, it's still busy and, and busier than it normally would be in late November. But applications here in November um, have tailed off a little bit. Um, curious as to your thoughts on the pace of purchase activity, what you're seeing at Trident, um, just as we get into the heart of the winter, um, especially in cities like we're in and Cleveland and Philly that are just awful uh, weather-wise and in the winter, um, what you think the pace of purchase activity will be like this winter as compared to previous winters? Um, and then next year, um, do you think we'll revert back to a more traditional spring buying season. Um, this year was kind of thrown off kilter. Uh, so much uncertainty in the spring buying season. We saw that completely delayed because of all the uncertainty related to the pandemic. And we had this like elongated, like June to November, uh, really crazy buying season. Curious as to what you think we'll see uh, over the course of the next 12 months here. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just think that it'll, you know, naturally slow down just because of the holidays. Um, but one of the things that we have to keep our eye on, you know, obviously is COVID. Um, and, you know, what we experienced in the state of Pennsylvania was that, you know, when we went into lockdown mode, real estate was considered a non-essential business. So, um, so that was, that, that really contributed to our delays for, for, from a spring market perspective. But, you know, for, for us, you know, we, we always say the start of spring market is the Monday after Super Bowl. And I could tell you that I, I, I do believe that, you know, come that Monday after Super, Super Bowl Sunday, I think that it's going to um, be pretty explosive in this market. Um, you, you know, yes, COVID can slow things down, but we have to understand that there is a pent up demand. Um, you know, it's 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 going to slow for the time being, but there's a kind of demand because of that lack of inventory. So um, I think it'll be a great seller's market come you know come February March of this uh, you know 2021. Um, but you're going to have a, a a very strong pipeline of potential home buyers out there. Thanks, Marie. Well, we are uh, just about out of time for the week, but uh, Marie, want to thank you once again for uh, answering the bell and agreeing to come back on and uh, co-host <laughs> with me this week. I really always enjoy uh, talking about Always a pleasure. I want to thank uh, all the attendees. Uh, as always, we will uh, distribute this to our YouTube channel and uh, record this as a podcast where a lot of people listen to it. Um, and uh, we will be back here once again, same time, same place next week, two o'clock Eastern, every Tuesday for the last week in mortgage today. Thanks and have a great afternoon, everyone. Take care. Thank you. For more information Thanks, about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.